All right. Well, today, welcome back, everybody. We're going to be talking about or continuing our conversation um, in belief in God the Son. And I want to begin with a prayer. This is a prayer that focuses on um, the Holy Cross of Christ. It's for a day in the church's calendar called Holy Cross. And um, so that's the focus. So let's, let's begin with a prayer. Almighty God, whose beloved Son willingly endured the agony and shame of the cross for our redemption. Give us courage, we beseech thee, to take up our cross and follow him, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Well, again, last week um, we began our discussion, conversation about... um, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, and we talked about the person of Jesus Christ, and we talked about um, the humanity of Jesus, we talked a little bit about the virgin birth and what that term actually means, and then we talked about uh, the deity of Jesus as well. And today, we're going to be talking about the work of Christ, that is, what, what he has done, what he has done for us in the past, what he is doing for us in the present and what he will do for us in the future. And we'll look at the work of Christ in in sort of three chunks. The first, we'll focus on the death and why he died and and what that's all about. Then we'll talk about the descent. People often have lots of questions about that. The resurrection, the ascension of Jesus, and then finally the session and return of Jesus uh, at the end of all things. So... Um, Let's begin with the death. Now, when we look at the creeds, we see something very interesting as they tell us about Jesus. Um, The creeds, it's kind of peculiar. They they tell us about the birth of Jesus, and then they take us straight to Pontius Pilate, essentially the end, the death. As one theologian put it, the whole earthly ministry of Jesus was summed up in a comma. It's the comma after Virgin Mary, born of the Virgin Mary, comma, and then we go straight to the end. Suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. We're told that Jesus was, again, born of the Virgin Mary, that he was crucified, that he was died, that he was buried. Now, why this focus on Pilate, Pontius Pilate? I had a parishioner up in Darlington who was a very thoughtful Christian, deep Christian, and he said, Andrew, why, week after week, why do we have to mention Pontius Pilate? Of all the people, why mention him? And part of the reason is that the the crucifixion is a fact of history. Now, different people have different interpretations of what it means, why it happened, what happened after it. But one thing that's not up for debate, historically speaking, is the crucifixion. Jesus was crucified. And Pontius Pilate mentioning him is a testimony of the historicity of that event. But this movement, directly from the cradle to the crucifixion, it is a reminder that Jesus was, in a sense, born to die. He predicted his own death as inevitable when he said that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. He even identified his death on the cross as the reason why he came, as the purpose for his ministry. He said the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to, there it is, give his life as a ransom for many. 
at the Last Supper when Jesus took up the bread and the wine, which we remember Sunday by Sunday in the service of Holy Communion. Jesus said nothing about his birth or his life. He said nothing about his miracles or his teaching, but he spoke only of his death on the cross, saying this. Well, we're told that he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, the cup, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. My point in all of this is that above everything, Jesus wanted to be remembered for his death. It's no accident that the central symbol for Christianity is what? I mean, what's the main symbol we use? The cross, which is so strange when you think about it. It's an execution device. Isn't that bizarre? The fact that the central symbol for Christianity is not the empty tomb, but the cross, it's a reflection of Jesus' own understanding of his life, his ministry, his purpose. But this all raises an obvious question. Why? Why did Jesus die? And why did he want to be remembered for his death? Well, the creeds do not go into this question of why, but certainly the New Testament does. And there are several reasons that Jesus died, several really different layers to that, uh, understanding um, his death. Jesus died, good morning, Barbara, as a martyr to his own greatness. As John Stott put it in our book, Jesus died um, as the victim of small minds and evil hearts. So there's, there's a, a, a human level that we can understand that, that there were just evil people who, who killed him. Jesus died also to set an example of how we can bear up under unjust suffering without retaliation. Jesus, of course, was the inspiration for countless men and women, but but notably Martin Luther King Jr. and Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who bore up under um, unrightful persecution. Jesus died to reveal the inexhaustible and inextinguishable love of God. But above all these, Jesus died to be our savior. The Nicene Creed puts it this way. It was for us men and for our salvation that he came down from heaven and laid down his life. That is the apostolic witness of the Bible, that Jesus died for our sins. Now, we use that phrase a lot, Jesus died for our sins, Jesus died for us. But what does that actually mean, Jesus died for our sins? What's the relationship between the cross and our sins? Well, I would explain it this way with a little analogy. Um, might be a little bit corny, but I hope it will make the point. Um, let's just imagine, if you will, that someone filled, filmed your entire life and made it into a movie. Now, my movie, my life was not very exciting, so it went straight to DVD. Never made it to the big screen. Um, it's just here on this uh, recorded, The Life and Times of Andrew O'Dell. And this video recorded not only all the things that you did, but also the things that you thought. It recorded everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, every time you did something valiant or or noble or honorable, and every time you did something, well, not good, every time you told a lie, every time you let someone down, every time you turned your back and didn't do what you ought to have done. It's all there, every action, every thought. 
I don't know about you, but I, I think that would be quite a movie. I don't think I'd want anyone to see the movie of my life or to be able to hear my thoughts because it would reveal all those times that I have not loved the Lord our God with all my heart, soul, and strength, all the times that I've not loved the people in my life. Now imagine that this hand is me and, and, and over above it I've placed the film of my life and over above me is, is God. And again, this DVD represents all that I've done and all that I've um, thought and said. And because it includes the good, the bad, and the ugly, in a sense it shows my rebellion against God in those times where I've turned away from him or, or, or done something unkind to someone else. And it shows in a way how our sin, that is, those things that are not of God, how they can, in a sense, stand between us and God. If you've ever had the experience of praying a prayer and feeling like it just bounced off the ceiling, well, that's a reflection of how our sin separates us from God. Or when you experience the pain of some other human being hurting you or the fact that you've hurt someone else. Again, that's a, a sign of how our sin stands between us and God and how it causes the breakdown of our relationships with each other. Now imagine that this hand represents Jesus and the life that he lived those 30-some years here on earth. And you'll notice that unlike our story, which is a kind of a mixed bag, Jesus lived a perfect life. He was tempted as every, in every way as we are, yet he did not sin. So there's nothing between the Son and the Father. They have a perfect relationship. And the great mystery of the cross is that for those who put their faith in Christ, for those who receive his gift, an exchange takes place. So that while Jesus was on the cross in some great spiritual mystery, all of the sin in the world, all those things that, that separate us from God, all of those things were placed upon him. It's why Jesus cried out in that moment, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your back on me? Because in that moment, for the first time in all of eternity, the son was separated from the father. Why? Because of our sin that he willingly took upon himself. But what's true here also is true over here in that this hand is now free. The sin which once separated us from God, the sin that would, would cause death to have the last word at the end of our life, that's now gone. So that in the end of our natural life, when, when what we deserve is death, what we receive instead is eternal life. So the death becomes, again, not the end of the story, but the gateway into eternal life for those who put their trust in Jesus. So Jesus bore the penalty that our sins had deserved and, and it crushed him. It brought him to death. And he was able to do this. He was able to take our sin upon him because he lived a sinless life. And so again, there is this exchange. His life for ours. Our sin to him. It's why Jesus said that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's what a ransom is. It's a payment. He said, I'm giving my, my whole life as a ransom for many. 
This is why we Christians adamantly affirm that Jesus was both God and man. We talked about this last week, and I said, you know, we're kind of laying down who Jesus is. He is both fully human and fully God. And I said, you know, this kind of feels in some ways sort of theoretical, like high theological concepts. But, but the reason that we Christians are adamant about that is, is because only God has the power to bring victory over death, but only a human sacrifice can stand in the place of our lives. That's why it's vital that God came to earth as a human being so that he might have a life to offer on our behalf. So why did Jesus die on the cross? He, he died to remove that barrier, barrier of our sin and to bring us back into relationship with God and also to bring us back into relationship with one another, to begin to take those natural walls of hostility that would exist between people, people of different cultures, people of different um, uh, nationalities, people of different um, socioeconomic standing, Jesus came so that those who put their trust in him, that he might begin to tear those walls down and open up relationships between us as well. So this is not just about our relationship with God, it's also about our relationships with each other. Let me pause there. Questions about what we've talked about so far? Okay. Well, so that's the death of Jesus. He was, as we Christians say, he was born to die. Born to die. But that's not where the story ends. The creed continues with the story of the account of five additional events in Jesus' saving career. So let's now look at the descent, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. Good morning. You're fine, Captain. Good to see you. So the creeds tell us that Jesus descended into hell. Now that is a puzzling statement. If there's a handful of questions that I get every semester, it's what, what does that mean, that he descended into hell? Other creeds change the, um, the wording and say that he descended to the dead. What that, what that phrase means, he descended to hell here, it's not, hell is not here the place of punishment. Hell here is referring to the place of the dead. The point being that Jesus actually died. He didn't swoon on the cross and just appear to die as some have speculated He didn't just pass out. No, he died, and his spirit went to wherever souls go when human beings die, to the place of the dead. And this reminder of his death, it can give us assurance for us that's invaluable when we will face our own death. Now, I think, you know, naturally, we human beings, of course, have a fear of death. Of course, that's natural. But one of the the gifts that God wants to give us is the gift of not having to be afraid to die. When our children were were little, we would take them, well, we still like to go hiking. That's one of our favorite things to do when we're on vacation. But um, when they were little, our daughter, who uh, is a very observant and um, very much wants to make sure that kind of everything is in place, when when we would go hiking into the woods, maybe in a, a hike that was maybe particularly dark, maybe under a you know, canopy of trees when you're in some of those North Carolina forests. And um, it, it's beautiful, but you really can't see the sunshine and you can't see what's around the next curve. You, you could just see on her little face, um, her furrowed brow, and she would say, Daddy, do you, are you sure you know where we're going? You know, are you lost? And 
I could say to her, sweetie, I know exactly where we're going. I've, actually, I've been on this hike many times before. You don't have anything to worry about. And we go a little further and around a couple of curves. And then she would say, daddy, are you sure you know where we're going? And in a way, we can feel that way in facing our own death. Are you sure we shouldn't be afraid? But Jesus wants us not to be afraid because he has gone before. He has taken that road before. He has experienced everything we experience, even death. So that we don't have to be afraid of death. Again, there is a natural fear, but that over and above it might be a peace, a trust that he has gone before us. Well, on the third day, he rose again. That phrase, the third day, is a witness to the historicity of the resurrection, that it happened on the third day. And it's clear from the biblical witness that Jesus' soul and body are reunited, and yet something is different. Um, There is both continuity with his old body, but also discontinuity. Sometimes his disciples recognize him, but sometimes they don't at first. In terms of Jesus' body, again, there was continuity with his old body in terms of the fact that um, his, his new resurrected body still had the scars. You remember the encounter with, with Thomas who said, you know, unless I place my finger in his side and touch the holes in his hands, I will not believe. And Jesus confronted him and said, look, Thomas, place your finger here. So there's continuity. But there's also discontinuity. Jesus seemed to have had new powers appearing and disappearing, passing through closed doors. So his resurrected body was different from um, the body that he had before. And likewise, our understanding is that we will be given a new body and that that new body will be different. I had a church history professor in seminary, Don Armentrout. He has gone home to be with the Lord, but... um, He was a Lutheran pastor, a little bit cantankerous, always, you know, you Anglicans this, you Anglicans that. But he was, I can't remember what we were talking about, something about the resurrection, and he sort of paused and looked up a little bit and said, you know, not long ago I told my wife that uh, my body's getting a little old, I'm putting a little weight on, lost all my hair, but in the resurrection I'll be given a new body. And she said, thanks be to God. And there is that, yes, we are believed. We will be given a new body. There will be continuity, so we should be able to recognize each other, but discontinuity. Um, I, myself, I'm hoping that I'll be able to fly. You know, if you, I don't know if you have flying dreams. Well, I believe that that's, uh, you know, I guess my own little belief that that's a, a foretaste of what, what will await us in our resurrected bodies. Similar, but also new and different. Well, 40 days after the resurrection. So Jesus, after he, he was raised from the dead, he spent 40 days on earth. People are often um, surprised about that. I think people assume you know, Jesus was raised from the dead and then he immediately ascended to the Father. No, the witness of the Bible is that he spent 40 days on earth, that he was seen by many people in many different places. But after those 40 days, Jesus ascended into heaven. Now, this does not mean that Jesus blasted off into outer space as I've heard some people scoff um, when, when discussing the topic of the ascension. But it's, it's clear from the biblical witness that Jesus' soul and body um, were taken up into heaven in a dramatic way. And the purpose of this dramatic exit seems to have been to be clear to his disciples that he was, in fact, leaving. 
Now, he promised them that he was going to send someone else in his place. And we'll talk about that someone else next week, the Holy Spirit. But Jesus told them, um, again, that they had to wait, that he was leaving them, and that they should not look for him um, to immediately come back, that he would return, but that, that they should wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, this now brings us to the session and return of Jesus. So Jesus was born, he died, he descended into the dead, he rose again, he ascended into heaven, and that's where he is now, seated at the right hand of the Father. Now, whereas Jesus' death and descent and resurrection and ascension, those were historical events, that's the, that's the testimony of Scripture. This image now is, is more metaphorical. In other words, he's not in some physical chair seated at the right hand of the Father, but, but this, this is a, a symbol to teach us something about what he is doing now and where he is. Um, this term, the session of Jesus, it comes from um, the late Middle English. Um, that word session would have means seated. So we still use that term um, for those of you who are in, um, in the law practice. Court is in session. Well, what, what, what happens when court is in session? The, the judge comes in and sits down. That's when court is in session. So that's what that term means, session, seated. Seated at the right hand of the Father. When we say that Jesus is seated at the right hand, we mean that Jesus is at the place of honor. Um, that is, he, he is it's, it's like uh, he's at the right hand of the king. Bless you. Um, where he serves the hand of the king, that is, the, the, the Father, executing the king's commands. But he's also seated in the sense that, so, so he's seated in the sense that it's the place of honor at the right hand of the Father, but he's also seated in the sense that his work is done. On the cross, he said, it is finished. Nothing needs to be added to it. There's nothing we need to do to, to, um, to add to what he has done. It is finished. No more sacrifices need to be made. A, a common question is um, people ask when they begin to look at the Bible and understand the Bible, they say, well, why? For example, in, in the Old Testament, there are all these sacrifices, sacrificing animals, sacrificing pigeons. You do this, you got to sacrifice that. Why don't you need to do sacrifices anymore? And we Christians say, because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. Nothing needs to be added to it. No more sacrifices need to be made. So Jesus made the final and ultimate sacrifice on the cross. Well, the fifth and final work of Christ will take place when he will come again to judge the living and the dead. The reason that we believe Jesus is coming back is because he said he was coming back. Again, as I said to Barbara earlier, he he said that he himself did not know uh, the day or the hour, but he urged his followers to watch, to be ready. That's what the season of Advent focuses on, um, the need to watch and wait for his, his second coming. When Jesus returns, he will take us to a new heaven and a new earth. Again, I think this often comes as a surprise. Sometimes we in the West have this idea that we die, um, we go to heaven, and we're going to sit on a fluffy cloud singing Amazing Grace for all eternity. Well, that's not the biblical picture. The biblical picture is that we die, we go to be with the Lord, and we're waiting. We're waiting for the second coming of Christ so that when Christ comes again, he will raise up the dead and not only give us new bodies, but he's going to, he's going to resurrect creation itself. 
and that so that we will live out our lives with bodies, new resurrected bodies in a new heaven and a new earth. Again, that often comes as a surprise to people. We were created um, to, in a sense, tend the garden. What he's going to do is when Jesus returns, he's going to take us back to Eden. But all of the universe will be Eden. But he's also coming to judge. And those who have refused to repent and, and believe will suffer exclusion. So the son was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to the hell. To hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. So let's, uh, let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus Christ, in the midst of um, a topic that uh, in many ways we only have hints and shadows and um, just little glimpses of the truth, Lord, I pray that you would give us the grace to hold fast to what we do know. That by your life that you have lived and the death that you offered on the cross, you have opened a way for us to have a relationship with the Father. And so I pray, Lord God, that you would renew your Holy Spirit within us to give us a yearning to draw close to you in relationship. And that out of that relationship, that the the result of that relationship would be our, our desire to love those around us and to open relationships with those around us. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, Um, for the promise of eternal life, not not only for the future, but even now, that your abundant life might be um, well up within us. We pray all these things expectantly, Lord Christ, for we ask them in your precious and powerful name. Amen. Amen. Well, good to be with you.